Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. Um, I think most of you knew. We ended up canceling last Sunday because I tested positive for COVID. Uh, but I am past the 14-day uh, quarantine, so we're good, at least from, from me. So, um, yeah, so today we get a redo, all right? So we're a little bit out of order, so if you caught on online uh, last week, that was the sermon we were supposed to get today. So today, you're going to get the sermon you were supposed to get last week. So, confusing enough? Great. Um, so it's kind of weird. I, this is the first time I've had this long of writing a sermon and then waiting so long to deliver it. So uh, I think it's still timely. Um, but for us, we've got to remember a little bit of what was going on in the previous passage before what Caleb just read. And so it was when Donovan was up here preaching live, we saw uh, this passage that he's going through, the folly of idolatry in um, chapter 44. Uh, essentially what it was is us making gods out of created things. Uh, it could be physical things, material, or ideological ideas, thoughts. Now, it was not just making a little God, it was placing a sense of hope and security upon them. And so whether it was a few weeks ago, the presidential election, all the things that are unfolding and going on with that still today, um, how to protect your family, your family itself, ministry, your career plan, your hobbies, etc., all of that um, is in this category and what we got to the point of was that none of this really lasts because it's not out of dependence upon the Lord. So you're not going to go to a little lowercase g God, whatever you identify and form and bow down to and put all of your resources to, it's not going to be good and it's not going to last because it's not out of any way, shape, or form dependence upon the Lord. So today, we're actually going to get into some hope that follows that. And so the passage that Donovan went through um, at the, in chapter 45 that he talked about last week gets into a lot of God's sovereignty, right? So, but what's important today is that we get into redemption because that also involves his sovereignty, but we see that redemption then playing out through Cyrus, which he talked about last week. So, Along the lines of redemption, redemption is a really big and loaded term. Although we might throw it around and, and use it loosely, it's actually a very packed term. But there's a number of other big words that's talked about in culture right now. So if you're on any kind of media, you see talks of unity and reconciliation. Urging people to uh, achieve this, to strive for that. But the question is, what is unity? What is the unity that you want to achieve? What does that look like? Whose definition are we using? What sacrifice will be required? But is there talk of redemption? It's really unheard of. If you are seen as wicked or deemed wicked in our culture, you're finished. If that happens to you or someone you know, there is a, a label upon you that lasts 
essentially for the rest of your life. We do it ourselves. You know, we can see in the media what happens when people get blacklisted, fired due to whatever maybe political issue or, or things that they said or did, but we do it as well, right? We, we judge. We blacklist people in our own lives, removing Facebook friends, cutting people off from our lives because of faith issues, because of politics, because of other personal issues that are, that's going on. Redemption is really hard to come by, it seems. But God brings it to his people. And what we see in this passage is he's bringing it initially to the exiles who were in Babylon. Now, fulfillment one, now what, I, I guess I, I should back up. Often what you see in a lot of biblical prophecies is that there are oftentimes uh, multiple fulfillments of the same prophecy. Usually there is a um, near in time, closer in time fulfillment, and then there is a future eternal fulfillment of that. Um, in some ways, there's three in this. So, first fulfillment being the return to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. Right? Donovan talked about that with Cyrus. Cyrus eventually um, gives the Jews permission to go back to Israel with resources, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and go back to the way of life that they've been dreaming of for generations now. They're 70 years in exile. The second fulfillment would be God's redeeming work that he doesn't just do for the Israelites, he also does it for his children, right? And then finally, what would be that third fulfillment is all that coming to pass and all that being reality face-to-face with the Lord. That message of redemption is right at the beginning of this passage in verse 21. The Lord says, remember these things. So to the people in exile and to the people throughout all of time, remember these things. I formed you. The last passage talks about us and how we fashion idols with our own hands, but here the Lord is flipping it and he zooms out to the, big, the bigger picture and says, I formed you. He formed you with great care. He gave you your personality. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your strengths, your passions, your weaknesses, and your fears. He shows how involved He has been in your life. Now, He said this before, and then uh, the sermon I did a few weeks ago was getting into that, of how intimately involved the Lord is, not just informing you, but continuing to sustain you. And this repetition serves us in reminding us of how important that is, right? So if you see consistent themes in Scripture or consistent themes and parallels in different passages, there's importance with that. There's a reason why God is telling us this. But he also says, you're my servant. have been given a role. We serve and belong to him. We've been given a place in the Father's house, at his side, in close proximity to him, and given direct access, it also says, you will not be forgotten by me. We are known by him. Even before we knew or cared who God was, he knew us. And we are eternally placed on his mind. 
then says, I've blotted out your transgressions. See how this enhances with each promise? I've blotted out your transgressions. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. We need to pause here because everything else I just said doesn't make sense if we understand this sentence. If we don't understand this sentence, none of this makes sense. How could we be his servants? Uh, To think about this, how could we be God's servants if we are given over to idolatry and serving little gods? How could we be in his presence if we're tainted with sin? You see, it all hinges on redemption. You can't have these other things if there's still issues that need to be dealt with with you and me. It all points to the heart of God. So in Scripture, not just this passage, but all of Scripture, we, we constantly see the brokenness and rebellion of people and the consistent mercy of God. Through the events, we see God giving hope and truly redeeming His people. And all of that, it culminates in the work and person of Jesus. Because He came, God in the flesh, And as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That his work for us on our behalf is effective to redeem all of his people from all sin, past, present, and future. All of us and the nations. But what happens to the sin? Well, he says it fades away like a cloud. Which brings back to another prophet, Jeremiah, in chapter 31, where he says, the Lord says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You see, remember that. He will remember their sins no more. But he just said in Isaiah, he knows us. He remembers us. We are therefore made righteous in him, with the sin being removed, we're united. Gives us a, a, a definition and reality of unity. He gives us reconciliation and redemption. We are covered by the redeeming blood of Jesus. This is something no politician, no party, no organization or ideology, none of them can make this claim and follow through with it because only Jesus can do it. Right? There's two big requirements that's necessary. First requirement, they need to die for you. I don't think we really see that. We see a lot of talk, but we don't see a lot of action. We see that in ourselves. But second, they can't be, and you or I, we cannot be perfect sacrifices because we ourselves are tainted. We ourselves are dealing with our own sin struggles as well. Okay. It goes beyond just a return to Jerusalem, as I said, and a new temple. It goes out to every nation in the world. And so, even in this passage, you see what creation's response is to God's redemption. Verse 23, it's talking about all of creation bringing praise to the Lord for what He has done, in observance of what He has done. What's 
interesting to notice is that it says the trees praise him. The trees, in the previous passage, which were talked about being carved up into little idols, their natural design and intent is to worship the Lord. In their makeup, in their being, they are still worshiping the Lord. It also reminded me of a very interesting verse that Peter said in 1 Peter 1.12, where he says, Angels long to look into these things. Talking about the redemption. See, God's redemption of sinners perplexes not just the world, which we'll get into here in a bit, but it perplexes and intrigues the supernatural world as well. See, God's redemption, as we see in His Word, only applies to and interacts with humanity. The heavenly host, on whichever side, doesn't have that experience. They see the holiness of God overflow in His Spirit to remove hearts of stone from sinners and gives them new hearts, gives them new identities, gives them new purposes in a new family together. They long to look into these things. And when they see that, their worship of God amplifies even more than it already is. Reason why? Look at Revelation 5. It's with all the heavenly hosts and all the saints. It's an amplified worship of the Lord. And Jesus at the center of that is bearing the marks of the cross. That's a part of their song. See, the heavenly hosts see they see the redemption, God saving sinners, but see, they also see the sanctification. They see the renewal of God's people. The renewing work that the Lord does in our lives that leads us into deeper worship amplifies their worship because they see more of God's glory demonstrated. Right? So we can see our day to day experience as being really bland, lots of losses, giving into sin and temptation. But the thing is, what the heavenly host sees is that they see the Spirit at work in every believer. They see the degrees of glory from which God is moving you to closer and closer to His image. And so where we would see days filled with lust and anger and all sorts of temptation, they see victory because they know and see in real time what God is doing in every single one of you. They have the perspective of seeing what God is doing and where eventually He's bringing this to pass. Every salvation, every confession, every moment of repentance, every prayer, every song of praise, heaven roars in echoing response. So we can be discouraged, but to not stay in our perspective, because it's not the right one. To remember God's perspective, but to also see the heavenly, the heavenly host has a perspective as well, and they see what the Lord's doing. But as there is much rejoicing, there's another reaction to God's redemption. Alright? There's opposition. Jesus has brought us into a new life that is redeemed. Right? And we know from our own experience that that life is not without internal challenges. Right? Even Paul's talking about in Romans 7 how he's battling against the sin within him. We get that. 
We get how we came from an old life and are now into a new life, dealing with temptations, memory, trauma, all of that. But we also know and experience how the Holy Spirit renews us and conforms us more to like Christ. We get that. The new life is not without external opposition. So, first, we know the world, right? What are we talking about? Um, the flesh deals more with the individual, but the world deals with the whole of humanity's sin as it manifests in systems and larger organized efforts that go against the gospel, right? So we see that in examples like the U.S., how um, pornography within certain boundaries is legal, um, and those boundaries are pushed. It's being celebrated by the culture. It's celebrated by organizations and ideologies, and it's against the church. What does God do? Verse 25, in response to the redemption, what the Lord does. He, he frustrates the signs of liars. He makes fools of the diviners. He turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. Recently, I was listening to a Joe Rogan episode, and uh, they had uh, comedian Tim Dillon and uh, journalist Alex Jones on, and if you know those two guys, those three guys, it's a very interactive three hours. Now, if you're familiar with Alex Jones, he gets into a lot of conspiracy theory stuff, and so I'm not really talking about it to get into that, but I preface that because right off the bat in the interview, Joe Rogan, who's kind of moderating, says, hey, I want to listen to what you're saying, but you need to give me sources so we can fact check this and not just say a bunch of crazy stuff and all these millions of people who are listening are not, you know, going with whatever you just say, right? And, so, and there was multiple times of that happening. He's talking about, you know, globalist conspiracies and all that and talking about corporations and people and referring to people as they and, and Joe's like, whoa, 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 who's they? Like, and having to ask that same question like five times, like, who's they? Right? Like, you made a really broad claim. Follow up with some specific details, please. I appreciate that. It got to about the last 20 minutes. I didn't do this all in one sitting. Um, it got to the last 20 minutes or so, and they're talking about, like, like where did we come from? And I, they're talking about, like, ancient aliens and stuff. But then Alex says, or they ask him, like, what do you think? He's like, well, I'm not going to do the impression. Um, <laughs> it's it's going to deviate from the main point. Um, well, we know we come from God, but God doesn't know where God came from. And the response from Joe Rogan was, wow. No follow-up question whatsoever. You, you can make all these claims about globalist societies and how, you know, the two-party system, it's all, it's all one and the same, and there's so much corruption, you're like, ah, oh, but God doesn't know where God came from. Oh, okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, like, no fact-checking. Who knew that? Did you ask God? Where did you get that? You see, it's just foolish. Making claims. Not being able to back it up. No foundation. Yahweh's redemption confounds the wisdom of the world. It exposes the pride. It exposes the shaky foundation. 
It exposes the vulnerability, which is why there's backlash against the church. There's no response that can overthrow Jesus, so they malign blacklist and put people in jail, beat them, impose restrictions, not talking about masks, and close down churches across the world. Look at present-day China. Jesus said that, that this would happen. But we get the world. I think we understand that pretty well. But one thing that maybe we don't talk about as much for whatever reason, what we do from time to time is talking about the enemy, the accuser, Satan, on the spiritual warfare front. I think it's easy for us to talk about physical temptation, battle against our own thoughts, or even battle against um, ideologies, things out in culture. But it's essential for us to understand the spiritual battle because that influences the world and it influences the personal flesh. I want to go back to something God said here. He said he makes fools of the diviners. He's talked about the liars. He's talked about the wisdom of the world. But he includes the diviners. And it's not just, well, what's another word for liar? Well, a diviner could be a liar, but a diviner specifically is someone who engages and interacts with the demonic. Engages with the spiritual opposition to Yahweh. There is an enemy who wants to distract and destroy the people of God. We see this in Scripture. If we really look for it, it's there. But I want to take us to Revelation 12 just to get at the core of this. Verses 7 through 11. Now, this is preceding a point in the early part of chapter 12 where the birth of Jesus occurs. You then get insight into what's happening in the spiritual realm. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, actually I'll pause here. (laughs) I'll get to that here. So, birth of Christ, war in heaven, Satan and his demonic forces against the Lord's. Satan loses, is thrown down to the earth. What's currently happening? Verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The battle comes to earth. Go further. Verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman 
and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So it's not even that the enemy is on the earth and just trying to disrupt what Jesus is doing. There's war on the church, on individual believers in every area of life across the globe. He knows that his time is short. He's got nothing left to lose. He will derail and seek to destroy the faith of people in the church. But you may think or say, I've never experienced spiritual warfare. Perhaps what could be an issue is you're now coming to an understanding of what it is, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. Or, maybe you haven't made yourself a target. Maybe you haven't been keeping the commandments of God or holding to the testimony of Jesus. If you were to examine your life, is that what you would see? Because that's, that's the, the prereq for a target. If, if you're not doing that, if you're not walking in that, if it's a local church or community that's not doing that, you're going to get choked up in the weeds of the world. The enemy is perfectly content with you and Netflix or with you and pornography or you and any other thing. The enemy is after people who are staying true to God's commandments and holding fast to the testimony of Jesus and his redemption. So if you're holding to that testimony, Scripture says, prepare for war. How? You need to understand how the enemy fights. How does he fight? I'm really just getting into one particular method today. Um, it's not always physical manifestations, although that does happen. Um, but one way we're going to hone in today is accusations and its relationship to redemption. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, in that passage in Revelation 12, he's thrown down from heaven. Used to bring those accusations before the Lord. His accusations don't go before the Lord because he's been conquered by the Lamb of Jesus. His accusations come to believers. I mean, how many of you in your walk have ever heard such thoughts as, how could God love you after sinning so much? God could never love someone as broken as you. You deserve the shame. You are not worthy of His grace. Did He really give you freedom? Why do you keep sinning? Just give up and give in. Or similar thoughts to that. And the goal of all that is to wreck your faith. To not lead you to lean in and cling to the Lord, but to just give up. Opt out abdicate, stop pursuing the Lord, stop growing as a Christian, 
in your marriage, stop growing as a Christian in your family and in your church and in your city, your giftings. The goal is to defeat you, to derail ministry, to doubt God's power. I mean, if, if I were to look back at my life, there, there's a handful of times um, that I, I could hindsight look back and see, yes, spiritual warfare, 100%. It came up in times when I would say I was, I was growing a lot in Jesus, I was having a lot of hunger, and I was heading into ministry opportunities that would have greater effect. Um, first one was heading into college ministry and starting ministry here. Second one, week before getting married. Third one, uh, a couple weeks into having our daughter. All those things, those attacks that I experienced then were directed towards me to derail. To derail my faith, to lead me into deeper temptation, and to disrupt what God's doing here. But what does God say? He says, remember these things. You respond to the accusations not by doing a Genesis 3 and asking Satan questions, but you respond to the accusations directly with God's promises. It's what Jesus did in the wilderness with Satan. Right? The enemy comes in and says, your redemption's false. Give it up. What's the point? How could God love you? You are so unlovable. How could grace be overflowing to you? You respond with, God forms me. You respond with, I am his servant. I will not be forgotten by the Lord. The Lord has blotted out my transgressions. I have been redeemed. I am not worthy of his grace. But the blood of Jesus says otherwise. The blood of Jesus cries out that I am clean. The blood of Jesus cries out that I am redeemed. And it's overflowing to this church. It's overflowing to the world. Respond to the accusations with promises. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Quoting scripture. I'm sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The enemy, speaking that against the enemy, you are conquered by the blood of the Lamb. It's finished. So what do we do? God says, return to me. In the warfare, in the battle, with your sin, return to the Lord. And so this requires not a new wheel, right? So often the pressure I feel in, in doing sermons like this and how to, man, just encourage you to grow, it's almost like there's this pressure like, man, you've got to think of the one thing no one else has ever tried before, and once they try it, it's going to be okay. It's going to be solved. I've got nothing new. But I have something that will hopefully refresh you. See, what I have for you is a lot of the same stuff we talk about in here every week, and we read in Scripture every time. But it needs to be, this morning, recharged. It needs to be recharged by redemption. 
I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about being involved in community, in person or virtual. Talking about fasting. Talking about using spiritual gifts. All of those are gifts given to us by God. And for us to just keep treating them like yesterday's news and keep treating them like, yeah, been there, tried that, eh, didn't work. Where recently I found out, um, John Wimber, who in the last century probably had the most profound healing ministry that God gave him, it took him almost a year before he saw his first healing. And it's not like he had this method that no one's ever heard of. He was literally laying a hand and praying, God, heal him, be healed. One year, hundreds of people, I imagine, hundreds of people being prayed for and no healing. It'd be so easy for us to say, well, eh, worked for Jesus, not for me. Guess I'll move on, try to find something else. But in reality, I'm just going to abdicate and just not actually follow Jesus. We need to be recharged in our approach to prayer. Recharged in our approach to community and fasting and the gifts because it's God's gifts to us. We saw how Jesus thrived in those things. We saw how Paul and the apostles in the early church thrived in those things and they had unity with those things. Why don't we? Perhaps... The issue comes to repentance. I want to bring some attention to that. Repentance is that turn. It's doing two things simultaneously. It's turning from sin, it's turning from the idol, and it's turning towards the Lord. It's a two-in-one action. It's returning, not to the Lord because it's just what you're supposed to do, it's returning to the place of life. It's returning to the place of joy and peace and righteousness. This is the core of the fight. Because how are you going to bring and speak the promises of God against accusations if you're not dwelling in the presence of God, in His promises? It's what's required. It's the core of the fight. If we don't turn to the Lord, it's pointless. It's going to be out of our own strength. It all needs to be motivated by grace, not obligation. And so as an encouragement in this recharge, an encouragement to walk in these things and to spend some time in repentance even this morning, is remembering how this all ends and remembering where it goes. The enemy knows his time is short. And we know the end of Revelation. New heavens, new earth, no sin, no disease, and we can be in person, no risk. I long for that. Hopefully that's rang true for you during this COVID season. And how a a single cell can disrupt community and how it can bring fear and division. 
the new heavens and new earth with the Lord will not have any of that. It will be unity. It will be reconciliation. Among races, there will be no more division. No more strife. We will understand one another because we will be with the Lord. There will be no more accusations. We will be complete. We will truly be face to face with Jesus. I want that vision for me. I want that vision in front of me and my family and us. Because without that future vision of hope, that future vision of redemption, life is going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard to find any kind of semblance of hope because we are so easily distracted into looking to the left, to the right. But the Lord says, return to me. Look ahead. This is what I'm preparing for you, church. This is what I'm preparing for you, son, daughter. And so with that vision in front of us, in his grace, not just future, but present grace, Together, we step forward in faith, and in that, we experience the redemption that He's given us. And that redemption is not just a matter of fact, it's not just a thought, it is a new reality. And we need to dwell on that, we need to have that apply to every area of our lives. It needs to. And so it's a grace that God has given us in that redemption. And because of that, and now with that grace, we're going to give you some time to respond to that. And so we're going to practice a lot of the things I just said. So we're going to pray at length. Uh, We're going to partake in communion. So if you didn't get one of those cups out there at the doors, go ahead and do that. Um, In that communion, we are remembering the redemption. We are remembering the body broken, the blood shed. It's a practice of rehearsing and remembering redemption. I'll give you an opportunity to give as well, digitally. Thank you for that. Um, And then we're going to sing. And to remember, every song of praise regardless in a mega church or small church during COVID, it amplifies the worship in heaven, right? And so we are joined by myriads and myriads of the heavenly host in praise of the Lord and His holiness, who He is, and His love for His people. If God has been working in you this morning, and you believe he's, he's given you a word of encouragement or something like that to give to the body, 
Um, Daniel will be up here to kind of filter that, and we'll address that as it comes. So let me pray, and let's wage war. Lord, we thank you for your redemption. We thank you for the cross. And when we see the cross, we see not just an icon, not just a picture, but we see your love, we see your justice, we see your wrath poured out, we see your grace towards us. Still, our anxieties right now. Give us pause in this moment. To genuinely see that what happened on the cross was for us. Give us that, Lord. Give us that sight, that spiritual sight. Stir up our faith. Stir up our joy. Stir up our confidence in You. Not in our abilities not in our strengths, not in how well we can put a ministry together or how well we can do a church service, but in You. God, we want this room to be filled with Your love, to be filled with Your praises and ministry among the saints. God, be with us in the battle. Because if we genuinely want to follow you, we know that there will be war. So strengthen us, Lord. You've given us everything we need. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. Give us the motivation to step forward in confidence and boldness because of your grace and gospel. Overwhelm us by your love, Lord. May we be filled this morning. May we be built up and equipped and sent this week for your glory for our joy. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.